seated. As we do each and every Lord's Day as God's beloved people, let's now join together, take our copy of God's Word, and turn to our passage for this morning and for our week ahead. That's Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. So if we had a, a drone, and it was over Jerusalem during this time, and we've been reading about Acts 8, we would be seeing a mass exodus of people leaving out of Jerusalem. They were Christians. Leaving in droves because the church was being persecuted. And the end goal for this persecution by religious leaders was the ravaging of the church. They wanted to totally destroy the church, wipe it off the face of the earth, and all this stemming from the death of Stephen. So we had this overhead view. We would see just droves and masses of people, Christians, leaving out from Jerusalem. And staying behind would just be maybe a handful, maybe just a couple hundred of of the Christians along with the apostles. But if we're able to look at this through the lens of what Luke is telling us to look at this through, we would see that as, as they are leaving out this max exodus of Christians, they are exemplifying the parable of the sower. Because as they go out in all directions, they are sowing the seeds of the gospel wherever they go. Whoever it is, they are, they are coming across, they're, they're, they're having conversations, and they're saying, let me tell you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you heard the gospel? Do you know of this Jesus? They are going out, and they are casting the seeds of the gospel. And so Luke has been telling us about how this persecution and ravaging of the church led to this group of missionaries of the church, who are the church, but in particular, the first missionary, who is Philip. And that Philip went straight into the enemy territory of Samaria and went there to, to share the gospel. And the Samaritans responded in faith. And that faith led to what Luke says is much joy. Well, our, our passage this morning shows us another chapter of the story of Philip and the gospel of Samaria. And it's not as, um, as, as happy as the story was before, because we see that Satan is at work. And we'll see it in our passage this morning. So let me pray for our time together in God's word. Lord, we come before your word now, we're reminded of what 2 Timothy 3 tells us. That all scripture, including what we're reading this morning, is breathed out by you. It's profitable for our, for our faith, for our understanding of you, and for our living for you. It makes us complete as your people. We pray, O oh Lord, you would be at work in that manner this morning. We would hear your word as your word. We would receive it as your word. That the Holy Spirit be at work in our minds and hearts so that wherever we need to be convicted, we are convicted. Wherever we need to be comforted, we are comforted. And that our call in you would be confirmed more and more. We praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. We will stand together now for the reading of God's word. But there was a man named Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying... 
This man is the power of God that is called great. Notice that's capital G, great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also. So that, so that anyone on whom I may lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. So growing up as a child of the 1980s, especially in the culture of the evangelical wing of the Southern Baptist Church, we were often and routinely taught and warned about things that were demonic. In those days, there were a lot of things that were considered demonic. So we spent a lot, a lot of time, a lot, a lot of times talking about that. Now, near the top of that list of all things demonic was magic. And we were taught that essentially any and all magic was demonic. Because that was the only viable explanation for how the magicians could do what they did. So every magic act, every magician, every illusionist was demonic. Because that's the only viable explanation for how they were able to do what they were doing. Now you come to find out... A lot of what we call magic is really just sleight of hand stuff, right? These guys, these magicians are good at directing your attention somewhere else, and they're, they're good with their hands, and they use sleight of hand to accomplish an act. And that's all it is. It's, it's just sl- good sleight of hand work. Others use more kind of illusions, using uh, perspective and misdirection to perform their acts. And overall, there's nothing harmful or dangerous to it. Right? There's certainly nothing demonic to, to be able to pull out a, a rabbit from the hat while saying abracadabra. It's just good, harmless, fun entertainment. However, however, there are certain forms and practices of magic that are more spiritual in nature. They are demonic because they are relying on a spiritual power which is not God. To be able to do things that humans should not be able to do. And it's demonic. It's messing around with things that are spiritually and physically dangerous. And the Bible is very clear to warn us away from these sort of practices and, and so-called entertainment. As well, the Bible will often uh, kind of lump together and label sorcery. 
And we can think of a number of passages that warn us against this. Leviticus 19.31, do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out. Do not, uh, do not seek them out and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. We think of at the end of the book of Revelation, talking about who, who can go to heaven and who cannot. We're told, but as for the cowardly, the, the faithless, the detestable, for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. We think in the presence of what Paul says in Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the Bible is very clear that we are to stay away from these demonic practices. It's not what Christians are to be involved with because it is a work of Satan. In our passage this morning, Luke introduces us to a man who in some of our Bibles is titled Simon Simon the Magician. In older translations, that same word is, is, is translated as a sorcerer. So we're not, Simon's not side of man, it isn't a type of man who, who's taking, you know, saying abracadabra and pulling a rabbit out of his house. He's not able to, to give a, a, a puff of smoke and be able to pull out a, a, a bouquet of flowers from his sleeve. He's not what you would hire to come perform at a child's birthday party. He was practicing something demonic. We've learned more about this time period, we find that that magic was practiced with the goal of, of healing diseases, but also bringing curses and harming others. And magicians would claim to be able to foretell the future, that they had this sort of type of, of sovereign view that only God has. And so we find in ancient literature and, ma- and, and these discovered magical books that magic would, the magicians at that time would often uh, uh, use special incantations that would involve names of deities and demons. It's demonic. They're pulling from a spiritual place, which is not of God, but of Satan and of the devil. It is demonic. And as we go through the book of Acts, we'll see some examples of this. And what we find time and time again is that it is, these works are meant to work against the works of God and to distract people from God. As we see Simon is doing here. Because he's a sorcerer. He's doing something demonic. So as the gospel goes forth, and especially in the territory that has been spiritually held by Satan, Satan will fight back. He is a defeated foe. The book of Revelation assures us of that. Satan is a defeated foe, but that doesn't mean he hasn't stopped fighting. Peter tells us that he, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour the faithful like we see happening here. What Luke is describing to us is that demonic work is taking place in Samaria through Satan and Simon. And there's another spiritual component to this. This Simon is also identified as Simon Magnus. And he is frequently mentioned in ancient writings outside the Bible as being an arch enemy of the church. Think about that. As we read about him, talk about this morning, he later goes on to become an arch enemy of the church 
and he's one of the leaders of the Gnostic heresy. The Gnostic heresy is important, especially when you study the Gospel of John and some other books in the Bible, because Gnosticism taught that a person gained salvation not by the merit of Christ's death for sinners, but they gained salvation by having special knowledge about God. There are different levels of knowledge. And it was only given to a select few as you made your way higher and higher up that, that knowledge hierarchy. That only a select few had this special knowledge about God that would save them. Doesn't take us long to figure out who would be behind, who would be behind such a heresy. There's an early church father, Justin Martyr, Martyr, who says that almost all Samaritans considered Simon to be the highest God. We see that in verse 10, where they say, This man is the power of God that is called great. That's demonic, isn't it? They're not worshiping the one true God. They're worshiping a man who is doing demonic work. Another early church father, Irenaeus, wrote extensively against the Gnostics, and he regarded Simon as being one of the main sources of their heresies. So this is the Simon of this passage. We're not talking about a, 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 a top hat, uh, bow tie, goofy looking sort of guy who's doing magic. We're talking about the work of Satan. And so what Luke is doing here is describing to us a picture of spiritual warfare taking place. Through these people, there is spiritual warfare taking place. And it, it reminds us of what Paul teaches us in Ephesians 6. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Isn't it interesting that the armor of God is a very popular teaching tool for children in Sunday school and VBS? Maybe sometimes we just leave it there with the children. But Paul here, as he's introducing the armor of God, he does it for a reason. Because we are in battle. It's a spiritual battle. And Satan is against us. As we see taking place here in this passage. The battleground Samaria. And the first shot of the, of the battle is that Philip has come to share the gospel. As we've seen, Satan has worked through religious leaders in Jerusalem, persecuting and ravaging the church. Philip, a deacon in the early church, uh, leaves out. He goes to Samaria. As we talked about last week, Samaria, it's a slightly anti-Jew. And although Philip was at least part Greek, he was sharing in part what was the Jewish gospel. Because they're talking about a Jewish Messiah. And Samaria, it would not be the place you would go to talk about the Jewish Messiah. But Philip does, and he shares the gospel. And like the parable of the sower, he finds in Samaria that soil, that soil which Jesus says, is his seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So what, what, what Philip is experiencing, what, what Luke is describing to us is that people are responding to the gospel. They're coming to faith in Jesus. They're glorifying God. They're enjoying Him. The church is being planted right there in enemy territory. And then Luke says, but. This is all fine and good. Everything is going swimmingly. But. 
here comes Simon the sorcerer. I like how one commentator puts it. We go from the pure to the phony. Because with Philip, we have a genuine man of Christ. He's not perfect. But he's genuine in faith that he wants to share the good news of Jesus Christ. He's over here. And then we find Simon, who isn't genuine of faith or loving of neighbor. So Luke gives us another contrast. So we saw last week, as Satan is ravaging and trying to destroy the church in Jerusalem, God is planting his church in Samaria. This week we see the contrast that as, as, as Philip is, is sharing the gospel, as the gospel is going forth, here comes Satan through Simon to work against it. He's a sorcerer. He's practicing demonic arts. And Luke says the people have been captivated by it until the gospel comes along. Look at verses 11 and 12. And they paid attention to Simon because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. There's a spell over Samaria. They're held captive to Simon, what he's able to do. What breaks that spell? It's the gospel. We're not told how good of a speaker Philip is. We're not told if he is this super dynamic speaker that everybody just drove, went to to hear. All we know is he went and preached the gospel. And God used the gospel to break the hold of Satan on Samaria. It's a good reminder for us that as Christians, spiritually speaking, all we need is the gospel. There are, there are people and there are leaders, there are movements out there who are going to tell you, but there's more. You need more than the gospel. Samaria didn't need a light show. Samaria didn't need fog and entertainment. They needed the gospel. All we need is to know that Jesus saves sinners like you and me. All we need is to know that God so loved you and me that he gave his only son to save us from our sins. And this truth is ministered to us by the spirit of God himself. I would imagine that there are many problems and issues in our lives that would benefit first from the gospel. There, of course, there may be other things that need to be done. But what it needs first and most is the gospel. Because remember what Paul tells us about the Christian life. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There are probably many problems and issues in our life that would benefit first and most from the gospel, like we see here in Samaria that broke the hold of Satan. And at first, Luke indicates that the, the gospel seems to be working Simon. It says, even Simon himself believed. He was baptized. He continued to feel he was seeing signs and great miracles performed. He was amazed. So if we were, we were there, we would have thought, wow, look at this, Simon the sorcerer. 
He, he's heard the gospel. He believes in the gospel. He, he's following Jesus. This is the classic Disney ending, isn't it? Up on the screen should come the sunset with Philip and Simon walking off into it. it says, and they, they live happily ever after as Christians. Because we've seen that that's not the sort of ending for Simon. We see this as, as word of the, the, the revival of Samaria makes it back to Jerusalem. And, and so in Jerusalem, they decide to send some heavyweights. The big guns of Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest apostles. So they, they made their way from Jerusalem down to Samaria. And, and if you paid attention, they seem to do something that, that is probably curious to us. Look again at verses 14 through 17. Peter and John came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on, on, on them and they received the Holy Spirit. What we believe and what we teach in the church is that when you are brought to faith, you're immediately gifted with the Holy Spirit. There, there's not, a, there's not a, a time span there that you, you come to faith and then sometime later you receive the Holy Spirit. That the moment you are brought to faith, the moment you are justified of your sins, then the Holy Spirit is gifted to you. There's no delaying in it. So what's happening here in Samaria? What, what, what's happening with Philip preaching the gospel? People respond to being baptized, but, but Peter and John coming to lay hands on them for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Well, the believing Samaritans to this point have not received observable evidence of the Holy Spirit's gift for ministry, although we believe that they had the Holy Spirit living in them. It appears that what happened is the Spirit waits to impart His extraordinary gifts so that the apostles, Peter and John, can observe and testify to the truth of the report, what says in verse 14, Samaria had received the word of God. We can almost think of it as, as a litmus test. So now they can go back with this report. And what reports? They can say, guys, you know Samaria. You know how much they hate us. You know how much they hate Jews. Philip went there and preached the gospel. And they believed. And we went down there and prayed for the Holy Spirit to fall upon them. He did. Because they are genuine Christians. So, so God and, and, and his, 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 his wisdom allows for this to happen in such a way so there's this demonstrable report of the truth that they have become Christians. Now we're not told what evidence the Holy Spirit gives of his empowering the Samaritan believers but, but he manifested his arrival as, in such a way that Simon can see it, he can hear it. And when Simon sees this happening, when he sees Peter and John come in, lay, lay their hands on Samaritan believers, Pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. And they, in a demonstrable way, receive the Holy Spirit. Simon sees this happening. And his true faith comes out. Verse 18 and 19. Now when Simon saw the Spirit was given through laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Pulled out his wallet. Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I may lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Bottom line is this. Simon shows he's not truly a believer in Christ. He has kind of walked the walk. He's taught the talk. But when he saw that demonstrable work of the Holy Spirit, Simon could only think of himself, of his power, of his fame, and of, his, of the, all the money that would come to him 
if he had that same ability. Because it's not about God's glory, it's about his. And Simon's true faith is now seen. Look, on the outside, up to that point, Simon looked like a Christian. Simon did Christian things. He, he, he said Christian things. But on the, on the inside, he was spiritually dead. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you. You go and buy a 12-pack of Coke or, or, or Sprite or whatever, whatever you may drink. And you open it up. And you pull out a can. And it looks just like a Coke can. It's got the label on it. There's no holes in it. It's got the top on it. But it's empty. Somewhere along the manufacturing line, the, 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 the can was put together, labels put on there, everything is there. But there's no Coke put in it. So if you get an empty can of Coke, is it a can of Coke? No. It may look like it on the outside. That's why on the inside it matters, doesn't it? Just like Simon. The outside, he looked just like a Christian. But when his insides were made known, he found he really wasn't. He was like the soil that Jesus said. Seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Peter and John, in their divine wisdom, divinely given wisdom, see right through it. And Peter rebukes him strongly. He tells Simon, essentially, you do not have the Spirit. You cannot buy the Spirit. You need to repent and ask for forgiveness because your faith is not a true, real faith. And notice what Simon prays. Please don't let me get in trouble. Don't let these bad things happen to me. He doesn't pray for Jesus. He just doesn't want to get in trouble. And he goes on and he starts a heresy. A heresy that wrecks havoc on the church for a couple of centuries. Luke ends the narrative by telling us that Peter and John uh, continue on the work of the gospel with Philip and on their way back to Jerusalem they, they preach to the villages along the way. Simon's story is a sad story. Especially because he had the privilege of hearing the gospel. He had the privilege of seeing the gospel at work. He had the privilege of seeing the spirit at work in a very demonstrable way. Yet he would never fully submit to the glory and love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He was right there, wasn't he? He was saying all the right things. He was doing all the right things. He was walking the right walk. But he did not want to cross that line. Simon wasn't willing to die to self and sin for the sake of Christ. On the outside, he looked very much like a Christian. On the inside, he was very much dead. And I wonder how many of us here this morning are like Simon. Not that we are a demonic practitioner of the dark arts. But we are someone who's had the privilege of sitting under the preaching and teaching of the gospel. We've had the privilege of seeing the gospel at work in lives in the church. We've had the, the, the privilege of seeing the spirit at work in a demonstrable way. Yet 
he refused to fully die to sin and died to self for the sake of Christ and his glory. You're comfortable looking like a Christian. You're uncomfortable with being a Christian. You still hold on to something that keeps you from faith. There is something that you love more than Jesus. There is something that is keeping you from receiving and resting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation as he's been offered in the gospel. What is it? What is that sin that you hold to so dearly? And I want you to ask this question. Is it worth your eternal soul? Is it worth for that moment when you die and you have to stand before the judgment throne of God and you have to look at God and tell him that your sin yourself was worth more than him. It was worth more than his precious son and the love, grace, and mercy that came through him. What is it that is worth more than an eternity of love and joy with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? What is it that's keeping you from Jesus? There's a story told of a missionary to Japan who struck up a friendship with a fisherman, an older Japanese fisherman. And this missionary would share the gospel with him. And then the fisherman would always listen, but he would politely, he would politely listen, but he would always refuse to offer the gospel. And he would always tell the missionary that his own works would merit his own standing before God. He was a good man. And he would, he would stand before God in his own merits. And so one day the fisherman invited this missionary over to his house. And so the missionary walked in. He noticed on the mantle this, this beautiful pearl. And he asked the fisherman about it. Well, tell me about this pearl. It's beautiful. It catches my eye. Tell me about it. The fisherman explained that his son had been a pearl diver. And while obtaining that very pearl, he had drowned. That's all he had left of his son. And the missionary said, it is a beautiful pearl. Let me pay you five yen for it. The fisherman refused. He said, you cannot buy that for five yen or five million yen. That pearl cost me the life of my son. It is priceless to me. And the missionary looked at him and said, eternal life is the most precious thing of all. You cannot earn it or deserve it. It is priceless, for it cost God the life of his own son. So this morning, what is it that's keeping you from Jesus and his gospel? What is it that's keeping you in the ranks of this, this Japanese fisherman and, and, and Simon? What is keeping you from receiving and resting upon Jesus Christ alone for salvation as he's been offered in the gospel? It is my prayer that the Spirit of Christ will make this clearly known to you and that he may do such a demonstrable work in your life that you will choose to fully die to sin and self so you may know the blessed glory and joy of the one who so loved you that he died for you so you may fully live in him alone. So we do not end up as Simon or as Japanese fishermen. We rest upon Jesus for the gospel. He has died for you and I to have. Let's pray together.